A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, guys. Welcome to The Chemical Show. I'm Victoria Meyer, the host. And today, I am delighted to be talking to Patrick Rapella. Pat is the chairman and CEO of the Rapella Group, one of the premier recruitment companies in the chemical industry. And Pat has started this company 35 years ago and has grown and evolved this business through the years and is really an expert in the chemical market and in talent in the chemical market. So I'm really delighted to have Pat here today to talk with us and share some insights on his work in the market and how he sees it. So welcome to the show, Pat. Thank you, Victoria. Appreciate you having me here. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really interested, Pat, in what's your origin story? How did you get started in the recruiting space and talent space? Because it's not always a, a typical career path, and yet you've launched in and started your own company and been really successful for 35 years. Yeah, it's not like you can go to college and get a uh, degree in headhunting. Most people don't have a clue that headhunting is a career path until they trip into it the way I did. And yeah. so this is a pretty common story. I went to a recruiting firm in downtown Milwaukee 35 years ago, indicating that I was interested in making a change. I owned a couple of health clubs at the time and uh, was selling business equipment and was doing both and working myself to death and decided I needed one focus. And so I sold the health clubs and went to the search firm saying, what can you do to help me find something else, a next step? And while I was there, they said, hey, you know, you'd really be a good headhunter. I said, well, what's a headhunter? I don't have a clue. And they explained it to me and convinced me that I should give it a shot. Six months later, I went back and said, you know, I really haven't found anything that you've sent me out on uh, to interview that's really got me as interested or intrigued as, as headhunting. And I've done a lot of homework and I've decided I'm in. So they made me an offer and I joined them. And the first day I arrived, they said, okay, well, what are you going to focus on? I said, what? What are you talking about? Well, what desk are you going to specialize in? Why didn't you tell me that was necessary? I have no clue. I hadn't even thought about that. And they said, well, everybody needs to be a specialist. If you want to dominate your space, pick a lane and stay in it. And while I was thinking about it and was having a complete brain fart because I had no clue what, what made sense for me at that point, they said, how about taking over the chemical desk? We've got a guy here that's going to be retiring in two years and he'll be your mentor and he's moving over into packaging right now and he wants to semi-retire and it's easy for him to do that, uh, focusing on a new desk and you'll take over the chemical desk. I said, but I know nothing about chemistry, nothing about chemicals. I've never had a chemistry class. They said, perfect. The less you know, the more questions you'll ask. And that's the secret. And that's true. <laughs> if you've ever read How to Win Friends and Influence People, it's all about asking them what they're interested in talking about. So I said, okay, well, 35 years later, here we are. I now run the world's largest chemical industry search firm. Go figure. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. 
Yeah, because, you know, I think many people that get into the chemical space don't necessarily know chemicals, and they certainly don't know recruiting. So that's really good. So, you know, 35 years, what's changed? What's oh, changed yeah. versus where you started versus where you guys are today? Yeah. If you look at what's changed from an industry perspective, that's one line of questions. What's changed for us as a firm is another whole topic. Which one would you prefer to focus on? Let's start with how about from the industry perspective? I think that's what people will be interested in. Yeah. So from an industry perspective point of view, when I first got into the business 35 years ago, there were very few headhunters that were doing anything but entry-level contingency type of search work. So placing sales reps, chemists, engineers, and the like. Unless you're with one of the big firms like Corn Ferry, Hydrogen Struggles, Russell Rounds. And at, the, at that time, 35 years ago, there was only a handful of those big firms. Now there are 10 to 15 of what you would describe the big dogs and another two or 300 large boutique firms like us and thousands of other people working from their home using an extra bedroom to do recruiting. So from an industry point of view, the industry has exploded, but from the internal talent management side of the fence as well. So it used to be that there was no internal recruiting really to speak of other than placing an ad in the newspaper. You guys remember what the newspapers were? Oh, like? yeah. I remember That's- those ads. Yeah. Yeah, that's where you did your recruiting. You'd post an ad and you'd wait for resumes to just come pouring in from all sorts of people that were totally unqualified for the world. And then Monster.com came along and said, no, we've got a better way. We can help you get the right resumes. And I remember once uh, being at a convention and the founder of Monster saying, we're going to put all headhunters out of business. You'll never need them again. And we're like, no, you won't. This is a relationship business. It's not Mm -hmm. about getting resume flow. It's about identifying which resumes, which people are really the right people for these roles. It's a relationship business. But what happened very quickly is tools like Monster, then LinkedIn, then Zoom, and all these other tools made it easier and easier for the internal talent management teams to build their own in-house recruiting capacity. That's been a dramatic change on our industry. It's driven down the fees. It's made it easier for them to do the low-hanging fruit. But again, The searches that are needle in a haystack that are more challenging, where there's less competitors in the space, where the skill sets are really specialized, the types of educational requirements and and the nature of the chemical industry means there's not a lot of good in-house recruiting that takes place for the real challenging roles, especially on the high-level R&D assignments or the high-level manufacturing ones. So we get a lot of that work still. And yeah, so that's those are some of the changes. That's cool. That's cool. How do you, you know, I think one of the things people are always interested in, and I certainly was when I was uh, in a corporate job and looking for corporate jobs is, you know, how do people find you? How do you find talent? Mm-hmm. How does talent find you in order to create this matchmaking that you do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's another major change in answer to that question. There was no such thing as the internet when I first got into the business. I got into this business before there were desktop computers and even fax machines. I used to have a phone that you'd spin the dial and we used to call that spinning the dial. You know, don't go crank out phone calls, get in there and spin the dial. Things have changed a lot because of technology. And it used to be that the only way people would find me was because I would go find them by picking up a directory at a library and looking up the names of the chemical companies and calling their corporate headquarters and asking the receptionist, who is your salesperson in Chicago? Or who's your director of R&D at the R&D facility in Michigan? And that's how we found people. It's called roosting. And you have to be really creative to get the secretary to drop her resistance and give you the information you need it. Now, all of that is available on the internet. 
in a yeah. wide variety of forums, whether it be through using Google or LinkedIn, which is an incredibly powerful tool for this now, but as well, uh, trade show directories, conference directories. And over time, there's a bunch of databases out there like PitchBook that uh, are like LinkedIn that give you very specific information about the people and what they do at the companies they're at, et cetera. So now we have a lot of tools. So you'd think, why would companies need headhunters? Because it's a relationship business. Cool. And so you, uh, so, so you still find that it's the relationships that you have with the individuals and with the companies themselves that help make the difference. Yeah, for sure. Most of our clients, when they come to us, have tried to fill a search on their own already. The great majority of our clients will have run it through their internal recruiting team. And if that doesn't work, then they'll have run it through their whole organization and begged everybody, help us with networking referrals. Who do you know? Who do you know? And when that doesn't work, they then will pick up the phone and start calling recruiters. They'll either give it to a bunch of contingency recruiters and hope that they can kind of, in a horse race setting, you know, chase down the candidates. Or uh, they'll decide for specific reasons that it really requires a specialist, an expert. That's what we are. We are not a contingency firm. We don't compete with other firms on any searches. We're always working exclusively on searches. We're not competing with the internal talent management teams. When they retain us, everybody after they sign our agreement is processed through us. And so it's a much higher level relationship, a much more focused approach to uh, recruiting success. Cool. Very cool. So, you know, a lot has changed, obviously, since you've been doing this. And the biggest change in the last 12 months, certainly across the industry, was COVID. What's happened in the world of recruiting, and maybe more specifically with chemicals, in 2020 and here into 2021, as it relates to COVID? Has it made things easier? Has it made things more challenging? Does it change what people are looking for? Sure. A little of both. And I'll give you an example. Without naming names but it is a big company in the chemical industry in Texas, not one of the ones you used to work for, so we're not going there. But we've been working with them as a strategic talent partner, helping them with some significant expansion that they've got going on in the specialty niche where they're a dominant leader now. And as a result, they're growing like crazy. Even during the COVID, they never slowed down. They were looking for quite a few people for very high-level business development roles, high-level technology, R&D type of roles, and even senior executive roles. And before COVID, we want everybody in our headquarters. Everybody's got to be willing to relocate here. And I'm not going to tell you which major city in Texas it was, because that will tend to tip this off. But the problem was it wasn't a location that a lot of executives from the chemical industry or a lot of these types of people were for this particular niche based in. They were mostly based in New Jersey, New York, PA. Mm. Getting them here was proving to be a major challenge. And then one of their main R&D manufacturing facilities, which is very common, was in the middle of nowhere in a rural setting in central U.S. And so again, a major location challenge. So, well, we were running into problems where they were really excited about candidates because the candidates wouldn't relocate. Those candidates were falling away right and left. Now, post-COVID, oh, you can work from home. Before that, no matter what we said, even though some of these candidates were working from home successfully in the same role, we couldn't get them to budge. But now post-COVID, now they're more than willing to say everybody else is doing it, so will we. So that's been a major improvement. Definitely, even, you know, you would think, how can you do an R&D job working from home? Well, senior leadership R&D jobs aren't on the bench that much. So the person flies in occasionally to do special bench work and then goes home or uses a lab resource that's there in their area, goes in and does the work at the lab and then goes home. 
Interesting. So do you see that kind of work from home lasting for a long term or do you, when you start negotiating on either company's behalf or the individual's behalf, is it for like, you know, a 12 month period with an expectation that they they move to the location or from what you see, do you see this work from home being a long term trend? Oh, I, I think in some cases, yes. In some cases, it's just a novelty and people are going to get tired of it very fast. We are wired by God as relationship beings. We are not robots. Working from home creates a lot of disconnect and even depression for people. They get bored. When they get bored, they get frustrated. When they get frustrated, the next thing is depression. So for certain people who are hyper type A personalities, working from home is never a problem because they get out and they make make their relationships in the community happen. And, you know, they, they're just better at reaching out and dealing with the the loneliness most others would get from working at home. But for everyone else, 80% of the population does not want to work at home. They prefer to be in an office setting. They want to separate their personal life from their home life. They're not real good at doing it. So it makes it more challenging working from home and having to deal with the kids and the wife, the spouses, whatever. So we've learned from experience that even in sales ranks, you take 100 salespeople and the client says, all 100 of you can work at home. So what? Only 20 of them are really going to be effective working from home. The other 80% just won't, no matter what, even though it's a sales role. And it's it's normal that these people can work from home. It may be normal, but doesn't always work. So a lot of our clients will set up sales offices for the person to work outside their home just because they know that person doesn't work well from home. So it's a trend. It's a forced trend right now that in time will fade away. And a lot of these people that are working from home, I'm hearing it every day. I can't stand it anymore. I'm tired of it. I want to go back to the office. Yeah, I can understand it. You know, I find even with my clients, when I when I talk to them, you know, people miss the water cooler conversations. They miss the ability to walk three doors down, ask a question, have it answered and resolved at that moment versus having to wait to see if they're available, sending an email, sending an IM, et cetera. It's, um, there's a lot of benefits to working from home. And I think... You know, people have certainly appreciated that flexibility, but there's a lot of benefits to being in person with your with your teams, with your people, with your peers, your friends, et cetera. So, you know, you started by saying you think people are, are intended to be social. And I would agree with that. Absolutely. Well, we've got about uh, we've got almost 50 total employees at any one point. And when the COVID hit hard, we shut down because everyone else does. Three weeks later, we open back up. We're here in Florida, so we have a lot less restraints than other states. So that's which part of it. But at the same token, most of our employees said, please, at least open the office up and let us come in and social distance. Let us decide how much time we want to spend in the office versus home. Don't make me work from home full time. I'll go crazy. And when we opened up the office, it was a matter of two weeks and 80% of our people were back in full time because wow. they, they wanted to be there. The other 20% are still working mostly from home because they have issues with kids and spouses where they can't find childcare. They can't deal with the the uh, difficulties that you know all of this COVID is creating. So, yeah, it's a it's been a real challenge, that's for sure. So you know, there's a few trends that that seem to be you know if we look at 2020 and 2021 trends in the chemical industry, sustainability and digitalization seem to be two that are high on everybody's radar. How has that affected your recruiting? Are people looking for more chief sustainability officers or is, you know, chief scientists that support that sustainability trend? Is that something that you see in your practice? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to bring up those two topics because one is much further along than the other in the chemical industry, especially years ago when Europe established reach, it made it clear to the worldwide community that environmentalism, sustainability in these topics were no longer just water cooler topics. They were mandates from the government, from the communities, and now even from the board. And as Europe has been well along that path for the better part of 10, 15 years, the rest of the world is playing catch up, but they're not behind the eight ball anymore like they used to be. So there are very few companies that don't already have strong sustainability teams. We had a stretch there for 10 years. We were very busy filling very high level environmental health and safety, sustainability, you know, roles working with the government agencies to, uh, you know, satisfy all the regulations that were coming down. And we aren't getting as much of that now because most of that is already squared away. Hmm. Now, what is really more the modern day issue as it relates to sustainability and environmental is, is now we've got the teams. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're doing other things. It's more about PR and effectively communicating what you're actually accomplishing. The catch up is, is caught up. On the digitization side, it's a total, not a totally different story. We are getting major and not as much Fortune 500 clients. Most of those have well been down that path as well. But it's the mid-sized firms, the mid-sized market-leading firms that are now saying we need a world-class data analytics person or we need a world-class, you know, uh, SEO and website leader that can take not only our website and our marketing into the digital world, but use that experience to bring the rest of our sales process, the rest of our communication with our clients' models to a digital format where we can have dashboards and better interactive tools. So we just placed uh, for a client out of Chicago, a major food and chemicals company, combination of both, the director of IT from United Airlines. And you might think, well, why would they go there? Why would they get somebody from the... That's not a typical transition, you would think. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of good people in the chemical industry with this experience. It's a very small pool of people. And so adjacencies, going after other industries where this has already been well done for a long time, makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned mid-side firms, and I know you guys have started working a lot with private equity firms. Yeah. How does... uh, So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. And I guess I'm interested in... Do PE-backed companies look for something different in their leaders as you are placing them than, let's just say, a typical Fortune 500 company? What do you see in that space? Yeah, the, the private equity community has had a massive impact on the chemical industry. 20 years ago, I rarely ran into any chemical company that was being led by a private equity firm. Now you can barely find one that isn't. And those that aren't are in active discussions. So it's incredible how many uh, small to medium-sized chemical companies that were family-owned, you know, small in-house management-led, management-owned firms are now controlled by private equity and funded and supported by them. That said, well, do, what do they look for that's any different than the Fortune 500? They all really are looking for A players and transformational leaders. They are looking for ways to define what is an A player and how do we make sure we're interviewing them? What is a transformational leader and how do we make sure we're getting them? And whether it's a Fortune 500 company or a private equity firm that's leading a mid-sized firm, they're all looking for that. The private equity guys are just a whole lot better at getting them. And it's really because they're better at data analytics. 
when you interview, most people do a very poor job of collecting the data and organizing it in such a way to really determine what's the difference between A players and everybody else. And what's the difference between the transformational leaders and all the others. That's the issue. Private equity guys are great at data collection and data analysts. And so they do a much better job of getting those people because they sort through all the data, they collect it better, they organize it better. And in the end, they make better decisions. So it's, it's not that they're looking for anything different. They're just getting more of what everyone's looking for. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought about that data analytic angle that they bring to it. Are they also willing to throw more money at it? Well, there's the, other, there's the other thing too, yeah. When you're working with Fortune 500, all you ever hear all day long is we are constrained by internal equity. We can't hire that person, even though it's absolutely clear that is an A player, that is a transformational leader that could dramatically change the growth you know, of our organization, the culture, you name it. But we can't, we can't hire them because it'll piss off the people we've got. That's that internal equity dynamic. And we get that. We understand that. Most of the mid-market leading firms also have that challenge, but they are being told by their private equity sponsors, ignore it. That's our problem. Mm-hmm. If we can drive revenue, if we can drive EBITDA, why would we care about what they cost? To a point, these private equity guys squeak when they walk. They're so tight. I mean, they're very controlling about their money, but they also understand return on investment better than anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Is there enough talent? So, you know, one of the things uh, I've observed in my corporate career, I see with my friends that are still in, you know, chemical companies and major corporations and is, and even when you just read, you know, different publications, et cetera, are we getting enough people that are interested in entering the chemical industry and developing? You know, I feel like there's been some gaps at times in terms of just talent at certain age ranges, perhaps, or, you know, kind of demographically. Is that a concern? Is that a concern for you? Is that a concern for the companies? Is there enough talent to serve what the industry needs? No. And the answer is clearly no. It's been a major problem. The, the STEM topic has been around for 20 years. It's been talked about for 20 years, and it has been mostly ignored for 20 years. There's a lot of community economic development initiatives being driven into communities to make sure their high schools are doing a better job of focusing on STEM. But if they don't make it more exciting, more dynamic, and they don't do a better job of funding how does that solve the problem? And that's where it always falls apart. It's just not that sexy when you're competing against video gaming or website design. And so I can tell you from personal experience, I had a son who was a math genius. Any kind of engineering, he would have been accepted into. And he was. He was accepted into the University of Florida's uh, mechanical engineering program, which is a world-class school. And he was a straight-A kid. And he got in and was doing great until he got distracted. And that's the common thing is these kids will get in and they can ace all these engineering and math and science classes. But what they find out is that also makes them very attractive to the other programs, you know, the software design programs, the digital programs. And they're a lot more fun. You know, let's build an internet business. And there go some of the smartest kids on the planet. So that's part of the problem. We don't have enough kids coming out of high school and college with these degree requirements, chemical engineering, chemistry, biology, but the ones we do are being tapped. So it's a major challenge. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I have, my kids are high school and below and, and I, you know, I'm a STEM focused person, uh, you know, believe it, promote it, talk to folks about it. I have a hard time convincing my kids who are really strong in science and math 
that they want to pursue STEM-based careers or that they want to be engineers or that it's an interesting industry. I just don't think we're doing enough to help them. And I think you're right. There's other areas that are, you know, maybe sexier, hotter topics, you know, the whole internet uh, development and video gaming and and data analytics and just kind of, there's a whole lot more uh, technology other than this core chemical technology that becomes interesting to people and figuring out how to get them there. It's yeah. a million dollar question. question. And it's for you or any of the parents who might be watching that have kids that are really bright and able to handle math and sciences, but aren't sure if that's really where they want to go. Point them to Dow. Not necessarily as a company to go to work for, but as a company that's doing an incredible job of building STEM feedstock. So what Dow is doing is they're not just talking about it. They're doing a really world-class job, and, and it's because they're as big as they are, and I'm sure BASF is doing the same thing and others. But they're on the face doing an incredible job of marketing how exciting and fun it can be to be in this industry. They've built teams of really, they're doing a great job of going out and finding them and recruiting them, but then they're making those kids look like rock stars. They're putting them up on the internet and they're doing commercials about them and they're doing parties and fun things to really get these kids engaged. And then they're doing it with video cameras around them and sharing that on the internet. So other kids can see how exciting it could be to be in this field. You might look into that. They're, they have a LinkedIn page for this. That's really cool. Cool. I'll have to check that out. That's really good to know. So it's, it's interesting. You know, you recruit leaders and you have built quite a big team. How would you describe your leadership style? What have you learned or how, how do you lead your business? Because you're leading a really big, successful business. Yeah. What's the magic in that? Yeah. One of the really unique perspectives that I have is that I've been hired and fired more than anybody else in the chemical industry. Because every month I've got a new boss. Every month I've got 20 new searches. We average about 20 new searches a month. That's a lot. Not all of them are fully retained, but we're we're running on average about 20 new searches a month. And uh, every one of them has a different leader. And so if you multiply that times 35 years, I've had an incredible opportunity to get exposed to leaders in an, in an environment where they're often challenged when it comes to hiring. That is one of the most difficult things as a leader to do really well. And so I've seen some people do it great, and I've seen a lot of people do it really horribly, and most people do it pretty averagely. But while watching them, I've learned a lot, and I've had a really pretty neat perspective. And I would say that my management style is to be as strong as it relates to being a visionary, uh, strong as it relates to being empathetic, humble in understanding that we all are wired differently. I'm big on strengths, focus on our people's strengths, push them in the direction of what we identify as their passions and delegate their lack of interests, which is usually their weaknesses to others. And we run our search firm much like an assembly line where everybody has strengths and weaknesses. And so we really push the components of executive search to those who are really strong and those who are uh, not really excited about the other components, we try to farm that to others. And so we run it much like an assembly line. And it's a special teams approach. And that uh, works extremely well. It drives our quality through the roof and it makes us a lot faster when we're running searches too. Yeah, that's cool. Especially the working to your strengths because sometimes people keep trying to fix their weaknesses and and often you can't. So, you know, maximize your strength and you uh, move a lot faster and farther. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything, what else about your business? I know that you, your business has really evolved. Is there anything you want to share? You know, I know you're, you're doing a lot more with private equity. Is that something that you'd like to talk about and share with us today? Yeah. If, if uh, we talked about where we've been and where we're at and then where we're going, 
I think the most exciting part about uh, Rapella is where we're going. We've now transitioned from being the type of firm that mostly focused early on. If we take 30 years and we use those, the first five years I worked for others and then I started Rapella and we've been Rapella for 30 years. For the first 10 years, it was mostly contingency search at the entry levels. Mm-hmm. And then we started to evolve into partly retained where we get money up front and the rest on completion and some middle management type of searches. The past 10 years, we focused it exclusively retained where we're being paid like a consulting firm and mostly senior level roles, uh, managers, not so much directors, vice presidents, presidents, mostly, and occasional C-suite searches. Now we're almost exclusively focused on C-suite searches and roles at private equity firms where we're actually putting operating advisors, subject matter experts, or what they call river guides, backable CEOs into private equity firms. And it has transformed not only our business, but also our revenue and the approach and the way we go to market. And we are now taking fees, which really puts us at the absolute pinnacle of our industry. There's a very few number of firms that actually get equity for fees. And so we're now taking equity and not not necessarily 100%. It'll be a split between cash and equity, depending on what the client's comfortable with and what we're comfortable with as it relates to the risk or the opportunity and rewards. And so we're now becoming a private equity firm at the entry level and with the expectation that in the next five years, we'll have a very successful cash cow called the Rapella Group, our executive search firm. But we'll also have a, a boutique private equity firm where we're actually going out and finding opportunities to invest, which I'm really excited about because it's one thing to be a private equity firm and to focus on revenue and profits, which is hugely important. It's another thing to do it from the perspective of, no, we're focused on talent. Where can we find the best leaders and the best opportunities for those leaders to shine? And then once we've got that, we'll bolt on funding financial sponsors through our network. And it's a different approach. Very few people are doing it. That's very cool. That's very cool. And yeah, and I mean, certainly when you look at uh, some of the stuff that happens, for instance, in Silicon Valley and angel investors and the where, you know, people back talent and you're bringing that expertise in to be able to back and, and build companies and fund companies with talent. That's, that's cool. Yeah. The other thing I would say is as it relates to what we're doing, we're still doing the chemical industry and allied industries, which are cosmetics, coatings, cannabis, plastics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're still doing that. And we're the 400 pound gorilla, definitely in the chemical industry space. But what is really neat is that the searches that we run are often very challenging needle and haystack searches. So with that said, what can we do to get ahead of the puck as the future is dynamically changing and 3D printing? autonomous vehicles, VTOL, vertical takeoff and landing, drones and such. Space exploration, that's ahead of the puck. That's where private equity is now just starting to heavily invest, where they've been investing heavily for the past 15 years in the chemical industry. We're seeing these really hot niches starting to blossom. And we're transitioning and getting in front of the puck now as well. And we're taking on a bunch of 3D printing, really neat, very high-tech robotics companies, uh, you know, surgical and lasers run by artificial intelligence. So we're, we're running those searches. We're having no problem getting those companies to say, hey, even though you're in the chemical industry, we get it because of your expertise in all these years running these needle in a haystack searches for the world's leading technology companies. Um, we just got the Argonne National Lab Super Collider project. Wow, that's cool. And that's the kind of high-tech stuff that very few firms get a chance to get up at bat to even make yeah. a pitch. 
And we're getting a lot of searches in these really high tech spaces. And so my, my hope in the next 10 years is that I can say, not only are we the world's largest chemical industry search firm, but we are the largest high tech search firm in the universe. That's amazing. And that is a, uh, a great vision to have out there. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So Pat, I'm going to turn the ties a little bit. So I know you obviously are working pretty intensely and having grown this business. What do you do in your spare time? Do you yeah. have spare? Do you have spare time when yes. you're running a business with this many people? Yeah. Well, I raised a couple of boys and had a horse ranch for many years and was involved in volunteering and running, you know, boards of nonprofit charities. And so I've always been, even while I was building the search firm, very active in all sorts of other ways because I don't sleep real well. I'm, I've got a mind that's constantly thinking about how can we improve? How can we grow? And if I'm not, I'm not real happy. I don't, I don't suffer foolishness real well. I don't relax real well. And so I've got to have a lot of other activities. And for me, um, it's always been a little high risk. I like race car driving. I like scuba diving. I like skydiving, hang gliding, you name it. I'm really into, you know, power sports, dangerous sports, because for me, that's just the way God wired me. It uh, makes my life more interesting. All that said, I've gotten to the point now where I'm a little more relaxed and I've now gotten into art. And I always had a, a strong interest in art. Even in high school, I was into pottery all through high school and woodworking. But in the more recent years, I've got into painting. And so I've also do a lot of glass blowing and glass art. And so I've uh, built a 7,000 square foot art studio right next door to my corporate headquarters. Wow. And that studio allows me to produce a wide variety of art. And that is my therapy. I've always felt like I probably could use a psychotherapist, but this is a lot less expensive and it's a lot more fun. So that's so, so what you've got behind you is some of your artwork, I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. This is, uh, I'm in my condo. I have a condo in, in Destin, Florida. That's uh, albeit uh, it's about a 3,600 square foot art gallery packed full of awesome. all of my And the art on the wall behind me is some of my glass blowing. And then the art on the left behind me is some of my painting, and I love glass. I've always been interested in glass. So a lot of my paintings, I incorporate glass into them, and they're really unique. That's very cool. That's very cool. So if you are, if you have a successful search, do you also gift your people with a, a lovely piece of art? Okay. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's an idea for next time. I think that was you asking if I'd send you one. I think that's what I really <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. make sure you get a <laughs> But I haven't done that yet, but we have a, a program we call Rapella Alumni, where we have an executive gifting program for our clients. And our gifts are, are not the typical plastic pen with your logo slapped on it. We do really, really nice, very artsy gifts. So, um, very I guess nice. Very nice. Are you familiar with giftology? No, I'm not. Check that so, out. So uh, I listened to a podcast recently and I read up a little bit. There's a company called Giftology and the, the guy that founded it has also written a book. And it's similar to what you say. It's, you know, it's around the art of gifting, but it's not gifting pens and tchotchkes. It's mm-hmm. meaningful. And that, uh, that that really bolsters long-term goodwill and it makes you memorable. And I think, you know, you're obviously a memorable guy and a memorable company and you've uh, done really well through the years. Well, thank you for that. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. So, Pat, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? What's the best way? 
the website, step number one, rappella.com. That's easy to remember. Yeah. Um, you want to send me an email, it's even easier. It's rappella at rappella.com. And all of our contact information is scattered all over the website, as you can imagine. And if I can be of help to any of your listeners in any way, 24-7, don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Hey, Pat, thank you so much. I really appreciate you spending time with us today. And uh, I think that people are going to love learning more about you and about the executive recruiting and chemicals and also just where you've grown in the business. So thanks for taking time today. Well, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me. Awesome. Thanks, you too. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.